Thanks for tuning in to Beyond the Bench. This is a podcast for athletic directors, coaches, and leaders, and it's done by three athletic directors from Iowa. I'm Todd Gordon from Greene County in Jefferson, and I'll be joined by Scott Jarvis from Ankeny Centennial and Aaron Stecker from Cedar Rapids Kennedy. If you have any questions or comments you'd like to leave us, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at beyondthebenchgls at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and let's get to today's podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Beyond the Bench, and you're listening to Episode 6 of Season 2. And we are happy to be sponsored by Hometown Ticketing. Hey, are you an AD interested in saving time or making your job a little less stressful? Are you looking for ways to improve the fan experience at your games? Well, we here at Beyond the Bench suggest you take a good look at Hometown Ticketing. Hometown Ticketing provides schools with everything needed to offer professional-level online ticketing at absolutely no cost to your school or athletic program. Hometown integrates directly into your existing school or athletic website. This provides your fans with a simple and easy ticket-buying experience that takes place directly on your website without the need to create an account, remember a password, or download an app. From individual game tickets to customized season pass programs, our friends at Hometown Ticketing can customize an entire ticketing platform for your program. And the best part is, it doesn't cost your school or athletic program anything to get started. Own your own ticketing with Hometown Ticketing, the official ticketing partner of VNN Sports. Yeah, one thank you, um, Hometown Ticketing. We appreciate that and uh, appreciate your sponsorship of our Beyond the Bench podcast. Well, folks, not going to um, beat around the bush. We are talking to each other on Sunday night, and uh, we were all just kind of shook by the news today. Uh, Kobe Bryant uh, killed in a tragic uh, helicopter crash in California. Um, this in about 10 a.m. California time. And when the news broke here, I know I just kind of stopped in my tracks, guys. Uh, yeah. Life, lifelong Laker fan. And, uh, you know, we kind of talked a little bit before. I, I don't know why it just hit us so hard, hit me so um, Maybe it's because we just watched him grow up. We watched him go from an 18-year-old rookie um, – all the way through his career, you know, and just kind of saw him evolve. And uh, so, you know, we had a plan, uh, kind of a show plan, what we are going to do. But um, really last minute, about five minutes before we were going to start recorded, I, we just decided that, you know, we're not going to – we're just going to do a show talking about Kobe and some of the things that maybe uh, he taught us during his career and uh, just as a tribute to him. So, um Guys, thanks for the adjustment. And, uh, you know, this is going to be pretty raw. We don't really have a, uh, a real plan, uh, but we're just going to talk through some things and we'll at least throw some things out. So uh, the first, I just want to uh, just read a brief bio of Kobe Bryant. Um, he was born on August 23rd, 1978, and uh, he was born in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. His birth name, Kobe Bean Bryant. 
It's a nice middle name. His father was Joe Bryant, professional basketball player. His mother was Pam. He was married to Vanessa Lane Bryant in April of 2001, and they remained married until his death. As father of four children, um, Capri, Bianca, Gianna, and Nat Natalia. And unfortunately, his 13-year-old uh, perished with him in that crash today as well. He was six foot six inches tall. Uh, his parents named him after the type of steak, the Japanese steak, uh, Kobe beef. Um, that's a very special brand of beef. And he lived in Italy for eight years while his father played Italian professional basketball. And he spoke Italian fluently, still did. Uh, he was nominated for one Academy Award. And of course he won. Uh, entered the NBA straight out of high school uh, in 1996. He was the youngest player in NBA history at that time, 18 years, two months, and 11 days. I mean, think of that. 18 years old. Um, playing with the best in the world and uh, played his entire professional career for the Los Angeles Lakers, which I believe is the longest running stint of any NBA player to play with one organization, played his whole career there, uh, won two Olympic gold medals. And he's, he was now fourth on the NBA all-time scoring list. He was third until last night when LeBron uh, passed him uh, in the Lakers game against Philadelphia and he won five NBA championships as well. He was an 18-time All-Star and a 15-time member of the All-NBA team and uh, no doubt a Hall of Famer. Uh, and that'll be a pretty emotional Hall of Fame when he goes in. Has both numbers retired, uh, number 24 and number 8 with the Lakers. Has two hanging in the rafters at the Staples Center. So um, a little bit about Kobe. Uh, guys, your, your first thoughts as you, you heard the news today. Well, I, I, as I talked to you about before and, and it, you talked about a little bit already, Todd is just, it's a, it's a young man, a kid that we saw grow up, um, wasn't always perfect, made mistakes, but, uh, just like we see our kids each and every day, we, we continue to see him grow and develop as a, as a young person and now into a, a man, a great man and a, a father who was uh, very doting of his kids. And um, it's just, it's sad to see that. Um, and I know we've all had kids that with, from your schools that have passed away or friends and um, for whatever reason, Kobe Bryant's just one of those people, like you said, and we talked about a little bit before we saw him grow up and it's just sad to see um, someone pass away that we've seen grow um, just like we do with our kids each day. So it's just a, a really, uh, and I, like you said, Todd, it's just, it would just hit me hard today that, that uh, somebody, you know, anybody, it's just senseless. When you, especially when you see a senseless death, um, it just, just makes me really sad. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree with the things you guys are talking about there as well. You just, uh, He's one of those folks, that, and and I'll talk a bit more later on. I, I wasn't always a, a huge Kobe fan, and we can get more to, in, into how he kind of won me over a little bit here uh, later on. But I, um, for so many people, he's just uh, he's just been such a hero, such a uh, a, a figure that they look up to. Um, you hear that the current NBA players talking about him today, uh, just in their interviews they did with media and stuff, and they're all talking about 
how they grew up wanting to be Kobe. They grew up watching Kobe play. He was their inspiration. And, and your, your heroes, the people you look up to, um, the people you want to emulate and be like and, and, and learn from, they're, they're untouchable. You know, they're immortal. You don't ever envision them, uh, you know, something like this happening to them. I think that's just such the shock for everybody is Kobe was so big and transcended so many different arenas, not just athletics, but entertainment and, and, and pop culture and, and leadership culture that uh, he's just so big. You don't expect something like that to happen so suddenly. For sure. For sure. Yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, and I, I just – Think back to his last game. I don't know if you guys remember that. Yeah. 60, um, wasn't it? He had 60 in his last game Yeah, uh, against the Jazz. And I remember staying up watching that uh, West Coast game late at night. Uh, that was April 13th, 2016. I just pulled it up here again on my computer. and um, Just legendary. I mean, that you, you can't write that script yeah. any different. But – you know, I, I think the first thing that we'll talk about, um, which I, is, is all relevant too, to I think, you know, what we, we try to do, but you talk about his work ethic and that's, that's why he could do the things that he did. Mm-hmm. Um, his work ethic is legendary. Uh, there's a TED Talk out there by Alan Stein. Alan Stein is kind of a, a basketball trainer. Um, and he, he talks in this TED Talk about how he, was invited to go work Kobe's camp out in California. And um, Kobe was going to do a workout, you know, and Alan Stein asked if he'd come watch his workout. And Kobe said, yeah, you can come in and watch. I'm going to go at 4 o'clock tomorrow. And Alan Stein said, well, Kobe, we've got uh, camp tomorrow at 3.30. He said, no, I'm going at 4 in the morning. (laughs) So (laughs) Alan Stein he said, I get up, you know, three o'clock, I get myself together, I get a cab, I get over to the gym where he's going to work out. It's 3.30. I think I'm going to be there early and press Kobe that I'm really excited to watch him work out. He said, I get out of the cab and I look up and the lights are on in the gym. And he said, I hear the, the faint sound of a basketball bouncing. And he said, I walk into the gym at 3.30 in the morning and Kobe's already in a full sweat. Yep. Just with a warm up for his workout. Mm-hmm. Hasn't even started his workout yet. He said, so I just sat in the corner and I watched him work. And he worked for an hour and a half after that. And he said it was the most incredible thing he ever did. And he worked on the fundamentals, the fine points of, you know, just footwork, pivots, and doing those things at a, a rate, obviously, that's a professional rate, but he was doing very fundamental things. And he asked Kobe later in the afternoon, he said, Kobe, why, why did you, why do you work out and do those fundamental things, those very ordinary things? Um, you're the best player in the world. And Kobe said, why do you think I'm the best player in the world? <laughs> yeah. So just, you know, a lesson of the, the fundamentals matter and they matter a lot mm-hmm. and there's no getting around that. Um, and I think that's one of the biggest things that we probably are challenged with. Our coaches are challenged with uh, coaching wise is, you know, there's so many, our kids get to watch so many kids play, whether it's football, whatever it is, but they don't realize the time 
and the effort and the focus on the fundamentals that those professionals have put in to get to the level where they're at. It just doesn't happen by going out and, you know, stepping in the box and taking 30 cuts of BP or uh, going to put up, you know, a hundred shots and you think that's going to get it done. Yeah. But that, that attention to detail uh, was what I think set Kobe apart and made him the best in the world. Yeah. And, and I mentioned earlier that, you know, I wasn't always a huge Kobe fan and I didn't understand him. And I, and I, I should clarify this. I'm, I'm not a, uh, I'm not a big NBA guy. We, I think I've mentioned that, taught that before here. I used to love the mm-hmm. NBA and I just, I don't know. I kind of last 10, 15 years or so kind of fell away from being a big NBA fan. Probably even sooner than that. Um, I just don't watch a lot. I get interested in the finals, but I don't follow it on a day by day. Not like you are Todd, where I know you're a big NBA yep. fan following the regular season and things like that. But, but uh, so I wasn't always a big fan of him, but when I kept hearing about him and as I, watched more and listened more um, trying to understand him a bit because I couldn't figure out why does everybody love this guy? And I just, my read on him was so, it wasn't letting me appreciate him. Um, what I started to find out, started to hear, started to, to, to listen to folks talk about is his, is his work ethic. And uh, you're just telling Todd how hard he works and how um, it would be. And I think what caught my attention was back in, in 08, with the Olympics and then the stories that came out of the 08 with the, the new dream team in 2008, um, mm-hmm. how impressed, I mean, here you've got the best players in the world at the time in 2008, you know, from the NBA forming that U S team and all of them coming out of that. As I remember the stories from the Beijing Olympics about that team and how they went back and won the gold medal after they'd had some embarrassing Olympics and world championships in the years before that and how the players on that team thought they all worked hard. And then they started practicing with Kobe <laughs> and, and realized the next level he had. Um, if you haven't read the book, uh, it's, uh, the gold standard, um, coach K's mm-hmm. book on the gold standard on the building up and the winning that, uh, of the U S basketball brand. And then building up that 2000 Olympic team. One of the stories that comes out of that is, uh, you know, choosing Kobe uh, and putting Kobe in the team and, and the concerns that, I, you know, Coach K naturally had with putting the team together like that. How are you going to balance everybody's egos? Mm-hmm. Here you are putting together 12 NBA basketball players. They're all NBA all-stars. They've all uh, either been engaged in deep playoff runs or championship teams and, and to that point in their career. You've got the best of the best. And they're used to being number one, you know, the A option on their team. How do you bring 12 of them together? Um, and one of the stories that comes out of that, you listen to Coach K talk about it, is – he went and knocked on Kobe's door as they were getting together for their first practices, first workouts, and wanted to have an individual conversation with Kobe. And he was intentional with who he had specific conversations with on that team before they got started. But his, his conversation with Kobe was about this whole ego thing. And as I, if I remember it correctly, he stopped Coach K and said, Coach, don't worry about it. I got it. <laughs> the next day in their first workouts, uh, again, as I remember the way the story went in that the next day in the first workouts and first practices, Kobe did not take a shot in any of their, mm. their up and down the court, uh, drills, things like that. If, if they were going up and down the court, he didn't take a shot. It was get, it was getting his teammates, the shots they were looking for. And it was playing lockdown defense on the best player of whoever he was playing against the whole first, the whole first day didn't take an offensive shot. 
Coach K reflected that, talking about saying he took the leadership, his leadership to another level by saying, by setting the tone of this isn't about our ego. This mm-hmm. is about us being a team. Don't we have to do to go win a gold medal? Because that's what we're going to get done. And, and I'm going to lead you in getting that job done. Um, just a really cool story about the kind of, of leader and work ethic. And everybody, I think one of the images he didn't like about Kobe uh, for people like me early on was selfish. Well, I read that mm-hmm. story and think, man, here's a guy who could have gone, he could have scored 40 on anybody in the world at any point in time he wanted to. Yep. That I'm willing to step back and play defense and get other people engaged because I know that's what makes us the best team to go win the gold medal. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Crazy. Here's another with that 08 Olympics. And uh, this is an article from uh, Inc. Magazine. Um, and they're, they're talking about um, his work ethic again. And I'll just read some of it. Bryant would show up for 7 a.m. practices at 5 a.m. After high school practices, he'd make teammates stay to play games of one-on-one 100. (laughs) Lakers head coach Byron Scott would find a sweaty 18-year-old rookie Bryant in a darkened gym two hours before practice doing individual shooting and dribbling drills. And then the 08, um, he would do full pre-dawn workouts before the official practices started for the Olympic team. Chris Bosch and Dwayne Wade recounted such an episode to ESPN's Michael Wallace. They said, we're in Las Vegas and we all come down for team breakfast at the start of the whole training camp. And Kobe comes in with ice on his knees. He's got sweat drenched through his workout gear. And I'm like, this is Chris Bosch. It's like, it's eight o'clock in the morning. Where is he coming from? <laughs> Wade added, Dwayne Wade added, well, everyone else just woke up. We're all yawning. And he's already three hours and a full workout into his day. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so it wasn't just on the court. Bryant claims to have taught himself to play Beethoven's Moonlight Sonata on the piano throughout the course of one NBA season. Wow. And then I, I think this is good. He, they talk about him as, as a businessman, too, after, and, uh, after he had retired. And uh, he told uh, Bloomberg Businessweek this. He said, I'll just cold call people and pick their brain about stuff. Some of the questions I ask them really, really simple and stupid, quite honestly, for them. But if I don't know, I don't know. You have to ask. Yep. I'll just do that. If he sees somebody on social media that he liked or he, he read something, he would just call them and he would ask them. And, uh, you know, a lesson for us, I guess, if we see something that somebody's doing, yeah. let's ask, them. you know, if the best one of the best NBA players in the world can do that, you know, we can do that, too. But anyway, he, he just continued everything he did. Uh, he did with a purpose and with a great deal of passion. Yeah, I, you know, I uh, as we kind of just researching a little bit, uh, you know, I just it's amazing to look at, you know, how special of a of an athlete he was, and not just an athlete but a person. But you know, we I think about throughout my career, and you you see those kids who are these just you know one percenters. They're like the they're just ultra talented athletes, and and they go on and they go D one and they you know have a chance to play professional sports, and then you've got this other 1% of kids who, who are just the hardest working, most dedicated kids you've ever had. 
and you see those kids go on D1 and, and maybe have a chance to go on the professional athletes. And I, I think Kobe was both. He was just that special athlete and a person who was the, that, that 1% of just a crazy, phenomenal athlete. And then that, you know, high intensity 1% type of work ethic that uh, just made him legendary. Um, and, you know, he always talked about just getting better every single day whether that was, you know, as a, an athlete, as a person, um, and, and Todd, as you just talked about, as, as being a, a businessman, but he always had that. Even when he started his career, he's, I'm going to prove everyone wrong. I'm 18 years old, and I'm coming to the NBA, and everybody was like, he's going to flop, he's going to fail, and he always had that tenacity, like, I'm going to prove everybody wrong, and I'm going to be the absolute best NBA player ever. Um, that always just stuck really into my mind. And he was always, and Todd, you talked about it, Aaron, you talked about it a little bit, but he was always willing to do the very little things, work on his weaknesses to be the absolute best he could, which I always, you know, thought was great. And, you know, throughout his career, you'd see times where you're like, you know, and, and this is really honestly before the Olympic run. And, and you kind of got that feeling he was selfish and it was all about him, but, you saw him grow as a leader and as a person, and um, he really executed um, what he practiced. He continued to just try to get better, and, and I think at one, you know, at, at a certain point in his career, he learned that I need to learn from from others that are great. And and Todd, you talked about that a little bit already. Is like he wanted to learn how to be as great as he could, and he knew that he needed to learn from others to make that happen for him. Um, and, and I think at the end of the day, his ambition, um, his belief in what he did and, and how he, you know, ended his career um, was just really classy. And um, I know, although he had troubles, just like we all, um, you know, I'm first to admit I'm, I'm uh, far from being perfect and, and have always been uh, a person who does not like to throw stones in a glass house, but, um, just a, a pretty incredible person and, and what he did and, and how he did it. Yeah. And just, I mean, just think of that example of, you know, like you said, Scott, that number one, he wasn't, he wasn't afraid to work on his weaknesses. Yeah. You know, if, if we can get people to do that, coaches to do that and coaches can get kids to do that, to work on their weaknesses, Everyone likes to keep working on their strengths. Mm-hmm. My right-hand dribble, I can go off my right hand and I can shoot that jumper. Yeah. Well, can you go left? Yeah. Can you make a left-hand layup? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, will you really work on your weaknesses? Will you stay after practice? Would you stay after practice and play one-on-one to 100? Yeah. Would you play one-on-one to 20? You know, I, I've, I've told, you know, People want to know how they can get better. Well, stay after practice. Yeah. You might not be able to get early to practice if you're going right from school, but you can find a way to get better. No doubt. Shoot, our high school gym in Jefferson is is open in the morning, mm-hmm. you know, at 6 a.m. Yep. And yep. we would gladly have you in there. Our janitors don't care. We're in a place where our janitors don't care if you're in there, if you're working. But how many kids do that? Yep. They don't. Yeah. You know, they want to be great. And parents want them to be great, 
but uh, yeah, being that one percent is something so special. Yeah, I mean, th- I, I yeah. just think about like you talked about a little bit there, Ty, already, but just think about you know, it's hard to. I mean, it, it's hard for me. I hate to fail, and I feel mm-hmm. like I I work like crazy just to be average, <laughs> you know, because mm-hmm. I don't want to fail, and so many people, and I'm not that I'm a you know. Um, I still have that fear of failure, but that's it just drives me to work harder. Um, but I, I, you talked about kids getting up and get so kid. I feel like kids are just a certain, a lot of people are just a, so afraid to fail that they won't even try to get better at something. Cause they're like, you know what? I can't make a lay, left-handed layup. So I'm going to, you know, somehow try to adjust in the game so I can get a right-handed layup even though uh-huh. it's going to be the difference in the game that you learn how to do that left-handed layup. But because kids are afraid to fail, they don't do that. And it's all that practice and prep- preparation that leads to that success, you know, in sports, in life, um, in business, whatever you do. It's all those times that you failed before. And then when it comes to the big shining moment, boom, you're, you're there and you've got it. And I think those are the type of people that – are those ones that just just refuse to fail and through that refusal of failure there's tons of failure that comes with that which is crazy right. which is nuts to yeah. even think about but just the fact that they refuse to fail there was 3000 failures to get to that point yeah yeah and the thing about it, I mean, it's just so applicable, whether you're talking about sports, school, business, life, whatever you're trying to do, whatever you want to do. I mean, it's just it just goes across every stage of life, everything that we try to do. I'm going to read um, what Kobe, one of the things that he said on his Jersey retirement night, and this was a message to his daughters. It's got a great quote in it to start, and then he finished it with a direct, Cow directs it to his daughters. This is his quote. Those times when you get up early and you work hard, those times when you stay up late and you work hard, those times when you don't feel like working, you're too tired, you don't want to push yourself, but you do it anyway, mm-hmm. that is actually the dream. It's not the destination, it's the journey. Yep. And if you guys, speaking to his daughters, if you guys can understand that, then what you'll see happen is that you won't accomplish your dreams. Your dreams won't come true. Something greater will. And if you guys can understand that, then I'm doing my job as a father. Yep. Man, that's wisdom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, just think of all those skills that he took from his career as an athlete and then made that transferable to business with, you know, team, yeah. teamwork, communication, being able to look at his weaknesses and grow, uh, you know, you know, just being passionate and have great emotion about what he did, his tenacity, um, coping with failure, his resiliency, uh, the leadership he showed. Um, he was always willing to learn. He was super determined he, some of his best work was under the most extreme pressure, which, yeah. which is crazy. And he, his concentration and his focus was, 
unmatched and his commitment to winning was amazing. And he, he set goals and he was, he motivated himself, his teammates, his coaches to be better every single day. I mean, and then he just, he tried to do that throughout his life. And I mean, that's, you know, we talk about great people and those type of people are the people that are try to do that with their family, try to do that at their job, try to do that with their friends. Um, and I know we all fall short of that at times, but you know, that the, the fact that we, you know, aspire to be that way in all facets of our life um, is, is what makes greatness and makes great people. Yeah. I think one of the things that I, uh, I grew to appreciate from Kobe with and just listening to you guys talk about that stuff there and some things I guess I've thought about through the day. And, and, and again, what, what helped me kind of become a, a Kobe fan anyway was, um, I think maybe what I struggled with early in his career um, was uh, it came across to me as an arrogance. Mm-hmm. Um, I think what I learned about him and alluding to kind of what you guys are talking about there is I think early in his career, and I'm speculating here, this is the best guess and, and observations and, and, and reflection, but I think it had to frustrate the heck out of him that he was surrounded by people that were the best basketball players in the world. And he was out working everybody that nobody else seemed to <laughs> want to win as badly as he wanted. To. There was a very few, I mean, there was, M- there's, there's MJ and, you know, I, you know, Isaiah Thomas and, and you NBA buffs out there have, a, you know, the, the Larry birds of the world who just have that, that different level of um, tenacity yeah. uh, and, and the account- personal accountability. And, I imagine him coming in at 18 years and, and two months old for those first three, four, five years had a hard time managing this idea that how am I outworking you guys? You've been in the league for 10 years. You've been, you've been, a, you're an eight time all pro. How, why is it I'm outworking you? They had to frustrate the heck out of him. And he just didn't know how to manage that. I think he learned over time that, um, and was leadership developed most was it's, instead of being frustrated with everybody else not working as hard as you're working how can you teach them how to work at the level you work at how can you yeah. make them better but that was just that maturity process i think early on yeah. just there like i said there had to be this frustration and it took him time to, to gain the wisdom that of not everybody functions like me i've got to help yeah. them bring their game up i've got to help them you know and and then that's where his leadership developed and he became a more mature player and, and, and I think that's why you saw his best teams mm-hmm. at the back end of his career. Cause he now, learned, yeah. how do I pass this on to the, the young guys I'm now playing with? How do I teach them how to work the way I work? Um, yeah. And that was the maturation yeah. process. I think that, that one folks like me over, over mm-hmm. time with him, if that makes sense. Yeah. I, I completely agree with that. Yeah, yeah. for sure. I think at the end, as he's as he getting through and seeing what, you know, being involved in the NBA, I think it all came down to what was his legacy going to be? Was it going to be the young punk kid who came in and was, you know, trying to prove himself? Or was it going to be, I'm going to leave this game in a better place than what I found it. And I'm going to help those young athletes that are coming up and I'm going to teach them how to do this the right way. And don't we all do that, though? Yeah. I mean, really. And the point is, do we get to the latter stage? Yeah. Because we all came into the coaching world 
Yeah. And the teaching world, stupid. when I was 24 years, 20, yeah, stupid. Stupid, absolutely but stupid. I knew it all. <laughs> <laughs> but we knew everything. Yeah. yeah. And, and really, I mean, I was, the next John, I was the next John Wooden coming out of Northwest Missouri State in 1985. Yep. You guys heard that, right? Actually, yeah. I, I, <laughs> I, thought, I think I read something about that somewhere in a book. Yeah, in a book. I probably wrote it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I wrote it. Oh, yeah. But I mean, we were all at that stage yeah. where we, we weren't likable. Yeah. We weren't likable when we first came out. Yeah. Because we did know it all. We had all the answers. Um, and we were going to set the world on fire. Yeah. And then you learn. So we, and then you learn. You do. Yeah. And I think the, the test is no matter what we're doing, and we probably, you know, we, we looked, when you think back to your first years as an AD, we probably had the same type of attitude. We transitioned from maybe coaching more full-time to being a full-time AD or being an AD slash coach teacher. But all of a sudden we had that title. So then we thought, oh, I guess I know how to do this now. Yeah. And then we transition into, that's why I think we're so passionate about, do we transition into the stage where we want to make sure we help others you know, come alongside too. And I think that's, we can all start that way. And I, you know, honestly, we see, we see people that, that probably don't transition as much. They do some as they mature, but that's the whole goal is to mature, to leave that legacy to where you're teaching others um, about how to do things, not just their job, but how, how maybe to live a more productive life too. Yeah. And, uh, What's that? Here's, what's quote. here's here's a question for both of you. What was that time in your, either in your coaching or your AD career where you were like, either you heard somebody speak or somebody said something to you and you're like, was there a moment they just clicked and you're like, man, I am screwing this up. I need to change. Was there a moment like that for you guys? Uh, huh. Radio silence. I'm sorry. Well, here, here's mine. Here's oh, mine. that's a good question. Here's mine. I was at MFL Marmac, and Todd, I was just like what you're saying. Arrogant, stupid, didn't do things all the right way all the time. I mean, I, I say this to – I feel bad for some of the kids I coached the first couple of years. I loved them, but, man, I was a lunatic. I mean, I was screaming and hollering, came from coaching college football and then high school and thought I was going to light the world on fire. I knew everything. And I heard Bruce Brown speak from proactive coaching and he literally mm. just completely changed the way I thought about what I was doing. It wasn't about the wins and losses. It was truly about, you know, developing young people. And that just changed my entire trajectory of what I wanted to do as a coach and an athletic director. I mean, that, mm-hmm. that was one point in my life I can go back to and just like, and, and who knows, had that not, if I had not heard him speak that day and I had him actually, I heard him speak and then I had him come speak at MFL Marmac in 1999. I, I don't know that I would be the same person I am today without that interaction. So is, did you guys have something like that? I, I think so. I mean, yeah, I guess I, uh, for me, it was, it was a book. Um, I think that, that, forced me to reflect more than any anything any outside source had forced me to reflect and it was the it, it was uh, Joe Airman's book on inside out coaching 
Mm-hmm. And I spent a lot of time as I read that book reflecting on um, the kind of coach I had been, the kind of educator I had been. And, th- and I read that after I'd become an AD. Um, and uh, I saw so many places I missed uh, opportunities, um, mm-hmm. focused on the wrong things that uh, yeah. I, I think hurt relationship with kids and I didn't I realized holy cow Aaron you didn't probably have the influence you thought you were having um, looking back on it and so it it changed my perspective on what kind of conversations I'm going to have with my coaches um, what kind of things I'm going to focus on my coaches in terms of when I watch them observe them evaluate them see them interact with kids what I'm looking for Um, so it it changed my perspective so I'd say that book was was a big piece Mm -hmm. of that for me started started that process for me yeah yeah I think for me, um, it was probably a life event. Um, I was coaching in Harlan at the time in uh, 04. And my mom, when my mom passed away suddenly, just got sick. And uh, two weeks later, was gone. Um, That changed my whole perspective on... I think really what I wanted to do with my life, how I wanted to do it, but also maybe made me realize how much of an effect coaching had mm-hmm. on people and just made me focus more on the relationships. And that's why I, I just, um, you know, perspective is so big for me and it has been ever since that day. Yeah. It was always in and out of perspective when I, before that. Uh, but then when mom died, um, it just totally changed my perspective yeah. on what we do, why we do it. Yeah. And the passion is one thing, but being overly passionate and out of control is a whole nother thing. Yeah. Uh, and so the little things don't bother me near as much as they used to. Um, so that, that was for me, I think just, uh, to step back and take a look at uh, the things that are really important, I guess. And uh, that next year is when I started into, you know, I got out of, that was my last year of being a head coach in basketball mm-hmm. and went to be an assistant and got the AD job at trainer and uh, that whole story. So yeah. um, just kind of went back to putting family first and, yeah. and doing things like that, that kind of changed my whole pers- yeah. perspective. That's, That's a great question. Scott. Thanks yeah, for letting was, us think on that. That's good. Reflection's always good. I find as I get yeah. older, the better I become at it. And when there are those small things like you talked about, Todd, and you, you think about, you, you know, the those little things, then you're kind of like, and then something like this happens like today. And then you think about all those little silly things we get upset about during the week. And you're like, mm-hmm. you know, in the grand scheme of things, you know, I'm a pretty darn lucky guy. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. Um, and you think about your family. It's just, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Hug them tight. And same with the people we work for. I mean, our coaches and our directors and our kids, our teachers, everybody we interact with, let's just uh, keep things in perspective and just really be appreciative of the opportunities that we have. Yeah. Let's close. Uh, Let's all just share one quote uh, from Kobe. We all kind of looked one up. We're going to close with this anyway. Um, here's mine. It's the one thing you can control. 
you are responsible for how people remember you or don't. So don't take it lightly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, again, I think that speaks to perspective, mm-hmm. um, how we treat people. It matters. Yeah. And uh, that's how we're going to be remembered yeah. ultimately. Not for the things we do or the things we did, but really how we treated people in the midst of all that. Yep. In the midst of all that we do, we're going to be remembered for how we treat people. Yeah. Yep. Aaron, what do you got? Um, oh, the one I kind of picked out and wanted to share was, uh, was this. He says, everything negative, pressure, challenges, is, an all, is all an opportunity for me to rise. And, and, and we spent a lot of time talking about what a great competitor he was and, and, and what a great winner he was. And I think one of the things that separated him, um, we, we've talked about his work ethic and his willingness to train harder than anybody else and to, and to improve his areas of weakness more than other people willing to take on theirs. Um, and I guess what I thought about when I saw this quote was um, nobody had lights shining brighter on them than Kobe Bryant did in the, in the world mm-hmm. of basketball. Um, mm-hmm. And we often talk about when the bright lights shine and that pressure's on, you don't rise to the occasion. Mm-hmm. Even though I know we talked about in the quote about it's opportunity to rise up, you sink back to your level of preparation and confidence. Yeah. And yep. he was willing to, to work so hard um, that he just didn't drop off under pressure when everybody else did. Um, and, and what a great lesson for people to learn is if you're willing to do the fundamental hard work up front and outwork folks up front, um, when those pressure moments in life come, whether it's in sports or whether it's in your marriage or whether it's in a, a friendship or um, you, if you've done the work up front, you'll you'll perform well through that moment and that's what as you reflect back on him i guess that's what i see Mm -hmm. he performed even when it was hard Uh, and and it's because of the work he did up front the work ethic yeah Uh yeah uh my quote from kobe was this the most important thing is to try and inspire people and motivate people so that they can be great in whatever they want to do and uh, I just felt like that was a really good quote because I was, I think the people that are inspiring and motivating people, and if, well, I don't care if it's being the best custodian, you know, the best business owner, the best boss, the best leader, um, I think th- that is a sign of a, you know, a great person is, are you lifting others up? Are you trying to inspire and motivate others to be the best they can be? And what are you doing to help them get there? Mm-hmm. yeah good stuff and that doesn't mean we all don't fall from that many times right but right it's about being consistent in your approach though too yeah. you know I, I think people let you we have permission to fail permission to fall sometimes as well but i think if we're trying to do things consistently and we are consistent in how we treat people how we work how we go about our business, you know, you're given some grace. And I, I, I mentioned that before too. We all need to live with a little bit more grace yeah, uh, sure. toward people as well. Mm-hmm. So, well, thanks guys. Um, appreciate uh, the thoughts. Um, we, uh, you know, well, the great thing, I guess, you know, even though, like I said, we didn't know Kobe, uh, we just knew him from, 
a great distance through a TV screen. And, mm -hmm. and, uh, I never got to see him play personally, uh, which I, uh, do regret, but I, I never got to see him play personally, but, uh, still, um, uh, say a prayer for his wife, Vanessa, his daughters, Capri and Bianca and Natalia. And, uh, you know, Gianna was with him today and, and, uh, just obviously rest in peace. Um, and, uh, just, just praying for that family and, and, uh, hope they get some strength and some comfort from that. So, uh, thanks guys for, uh, signing in today. Go hug your families, uh, and have a great week with, with your, uh, programs. Good luck. Uh, good luck to everyone out there who been listening tonight and today, whenever you're listening, but thanks for tuning in. We appreciate that. Appreciate our friends from hometown ticketing for being a sponsor of beyond the bench. And until next time, be blessed.